Hello and welcome to the Emmas for Mama podcast. I'm your host, Abby Halberstadt, happy wife, mama to 10, Bible-believing Christian. And on today's episode, I have the great privilege of interviewing my friend, Amy Waters. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we are doing this interview during the interim of the chaos that I was describing to you last week on last week's episode about the total, basically, demolition of everything a foot and below, and in many cases, above a foot, when all the cabinets had to be ripped out of our house because it flooded. So Amy is very graciously stepping over dehumidifiers and wandering through sheetrock dust, and, but hey, you know what? This room looks pretty, so we're just just gonna roll with it. It's It's so, so y'all, the noise, the noise. We're gonna talk about mental health today. And the noise is not good for my mental health. (laughs) So Amy is a licensed professional counselor. And more importantly, she is a Bible-believing Christian. And I say more importantly, and maybe some of the hairs on the back of your neck just bristled, that I said that it was more important to be a Bible-believing Christian than it is to be a licensed professional counselor. But I do believe that whatever our profession, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Absolutely. And so the undergirding has to be scripture because it tells us very plainly that the Spirit has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yeah. Now, some of that may be a professional counselor that gives us the information and the tactics and the coping mechanisms and the ways forward to healing that God has given us for life and godliness through their biblical, godly, good counsel and the training that they have. And we'll talk a lot more about that, and I'll let Amy do that talking because she's the one with all of that experience. But the reason that I wanted to tackle this topic today is because anytime I even tiptoe toward the topic of mental health and try to balance that from a biblical perspective as opposed to simply saying kind of the catch line of everybody needs therapy, mm-hmm. everybody, like all, all the people, all the people need therapy for all the things, you know, kind of like we can't get through life without therapy has become a bit of a mantra in our mm-hmm. society. Would you agree? Do you see this? I do. I think we've seen a, a pretty big pendulum swing I think there was probably a time in a season where people would have said, take two Bible verses and call me in the morning and <laughs> kind of dismissed therapy or even uh, felt shamed by walking in the door. Yeah. And I do think we're seeing a pretty large pendulum swing. Um, and I think you're going to see that more on social media than you are maybe even in your, you know, in your church doors or on at the, on the ground level, but you are seeing kind of a, Hey, we need Jesus and therapy. And I get really uncomfortable with the phrase Jesus and anything. Jesus Absolutely. And Jesus and coffee. coffee. Jesus, Jesus and, and Dr. Wine. Pepper. Jesus, Jesus and, and wine. Yes. Um, Why is it all the things you drink? <laughs> I guess we're very thirsty. Yes. <laughs> but not for living water, which we right. should be. Right. Which the Bible literally talks to us. And like, it's literally the name of my, I mean, we're living well. Yes. So um, Amy has a practice that she owns. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of years ago, um, with a dear friend of mine, opened up a counseling center called Living Well Holistic Counseling and Wellness. And we come... Uh, to approach therapy through the notion that God designed us mind, body, and soul. And so we heal mind, body, and soul. And so when we chose the name Living Well, we really had a kind of multi-layer meaning in mind. Um, One that, you know, Jesus is living water and we come to the well to draw from him. Um, It's a wellness center, so we're literally living well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then the hope is, is that as people learn how to draw from that well, that they would then become a wellspring that gives life to others. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I don't think I ever knew the third aspect Mm -hmm. of that. But I have, again, like I said, kind of tiptoed up to this topic a couple of times because anytime I have kind of addressed 
not the two Bible verses and wake up in the morning and you should be good to go. But the idea that if our knee-jerk response is, I need another human to fix me, we have to first possibly look in our own hearts and say, am I pursuing a relationship with Christ? Have I, am I using another human as a crutch? Or do I truly believe that Jesus is enough? There are many people who say amen, of course. And there are many people who say things like, I don't think you understand what counseling is. I don't think you understand the limits of scripture, which that makes me uncomfortable too. I don't think you, I don't think you quite get like what an actual counselor would tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an actual counselor who owns her own practice and has been doing this and approaches it from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. And so what is your kind of soundbite or as long as you want to talk on everybody needs therapy? Like what's, what's your actual biblical response to that? Well, I think one of the things that we get hung up in is is language, um, because we use the word counseling um, or the word counsel, um, and so does everyone need counsel? Mm-hmm. I think you could make a great biblical case that in the abundance of counselors is safety. That's Proverbs eleven, that where there is no counsel, that men fall. There is a sense that we are um, in our pursuit of relationship with God. That that is worked out in the context of community. Mm-hmm. It always has been. Absolutely. That beyond Genesis 1, God God operates with people. Yes. Um, and so do we all need counsel? Yes. Um, professional counseling, I think, is you know in a different scope. When we've gone to that place where I'm feeling stuck, um, where I'm dealing with something, maybe there's a, a root in trauma or a biological root. Maybe I have done all these things. I've been in community. I'm praying. I'm reading my scriptures and the, the, I'm having a hard time moving forward. Maybe I'm scared of relationships. Maybe there's this sense that I know I should be doing this, but there's something keeping me from that. I think professional counseling can be a really great way to help you navigate why that's happening so that you can return to community. Um, and so I will say to you, I don't think professional counseling replaces community mm. in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. I, I cannot provide in my office what a um, loving church would provide or what a group of friends who are in God's word together or um, praying for one another or serving each other. I, I just can't. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's a particular training that we do. I, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you maybe... A little bit more underneath that, I I have uh, when when I first went to school to do counseling, I was kind of going, okay, what kind of counseling do I do? Do I do biblical counseling or what they call newthetic counseling? Do I do professional counseling? Do I get my license? Is that okay? Does that compromise me in some way? Should my license ask me to do something that I don't think is good? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and so. That's why I chose to do my degree at a seminary. I felt like it was very helpful for me to learn how to integrate faith because even though we're dealing with things like your nervous system and neuroscience and, uh, you know, the anatomy of things like anxiety or depression, there, there's a, a, a knowledge base in that. We're touching things like the soul, right? Oh, yeah. Psychology is psyche, which is soul, and logos, which is word. Mm-hmm. It's a word about the soul. And that belonged to the church long before it belonged to the professional world of counseling. It is a fairly new field um, in the sense of 
you know, professionals doing it. It's especially new in the world of people outside of the church doing it. Yeah. And I think that that is such an important distinction to make because a lot of the pushback that I get comes from, again, that mindset that unless you have that paper on your wall, Mm -hmm. unless you have the degree, unless you have this very specific training, you can't possibly fill in the blank. And I think we see from scripture so often that what we're starting with, ideally, let's, let's put that word in there. Okay. What we're starting with ideally is people close to us who can speak truth to us, who can see what's going on, who can see to the root of it and say, listen, I know you feel like you can't function right now, but what I see is some of these other undergirding issues. Can we pray about these things? Can we find practical solutions to these things? Can I come alongside you and bring you some meals in this season? Would that take something away from you? Because sometimes I do think that, and, and I, I, when I say sometimes I do think, I mean I have personally experienced that. Yeah. Sometimes it is a very practical little shift that takes place mm-hmm. that alleviates that thing in your mind that feels so overloaded. Sure. And you're able to address some things with the Lord, with your family. Now, the unfortunate thing is we don't live in an ideal world, right. period. And we are seeing an increase of dysfunction within families and communities. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be the person that's like, the sky is falling. I mean, we have Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun, but we also have... Scriptures that say that lawlessness will increase. And I think we are seeing a pulling back of law and order and logic and mm-hmm. an elevation of emotionalism. Yeah. Would you agree? I can I can certainly see that. And again, I think I see a, a pendulum swing there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I think on one end you have this sense of um, my emotions are, you know, kind of ruling or they're moving forward or we're... Um, all emotions are valid. Okay, or... can I stop you? Because yeah. I wanted to ask you about that phrase. Yeah. This phrase is used so often online. Yeah. I never had anyone say it to me in real life. Yeah. I mean, this is not a phrase that comes up in a normal conversation, right? Yeah. Unless you're having a therapy conversation, which which I would say that I love that we get to do this because who sits down and has therapy conversations with their friends when you're chasing toddlers. I mean, I'm, my, my main audience is moms. We don't yeah. have time to sit down and no. have therapy conversations, <laughs> no. you know? Which, it, it's so funny, because sometimes that's my case for therapy. I'm like, it's set apart. Like, there's a sense right. of... You made an appointment You made an appointment. It. You made time. And you better you better work on it, because you paid money. And because you, you paid money the for time. it. Absolutely. But talk to me about this phrase. From a biblical perspective, mm-hmm. all emotions are valid, because people, this is their hill to die on. Yeah. What would you say to that? So again, I'm kind of coming back to that pendulum thing. I think there's this knee-jerk reaction to when emotions have been dismissed mm. or when emotions have been passed over in our failure to weep with those who weep and mm. rejoice with those who mm-hmm. rejoice. Yeah. There's there's a, a story um, in the Gospels where uh, you'll be very familiar with this. I believe it's in the book of John when uh, Lazarus has died. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has delayed and he's purposefully delayed. Absolutely. And... When Jesus shows up, of course, uh, in very Martha and Mary fashion, Martha says, "Jesus, if you had been here, my brother brother would have died." died. And and he's so personal in the way he tends to her. He lets her know he's going to handle it. Mm -hmm. 
when Mary shows up with her full entourage of people who are weeping with her, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just Mary. It's all the people who've been sitting Shiva with her. They come in and this is where we see that little tiny verse, right? Shortest verse in the whole book. It's Luke, Luke Mm -hmm. 11. Mm -hmm. Um, like, why John? Um, he, he's, Jesus weeps. Yeah. And so there is this sense of, um, in that moment, Jesus knew the solution. Right. He, he knew the outcome. He knew the outcome. He was going to do it for the glory of God and so that they would believe. And he chooses anyways mm-hmm. to enter into that space with her and to weep. He has empathy. Yeah. He shows great empathy. And I think we have traditionally in churches struggled with that because sometimes we go so far into the logic and, and, and hear me, hear me rightly. I love God's word. I believe it's true. I believe it's authoritative. Um, I, I say all the time, even when I am sorting out all the things that I'm reading, maybe even from a secular perspective, I filter that through biblical truth. Yeah. I do. I, if it Which is, is why you're here, because I wouldn't have yeah. you on if that were not the case. Um, but I think there's times that we get so logical in the way that we are approaching human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people have been hurt by the church and church people who well-meaning skipped right over that moment where they could have wept with those who were weeping absolutely, and said, God works all things together for good, which is true, which is true, but not timely, not timely. Right. And, and it's that idea of the Proverbs talks about how the wounds of a friend are faithful, but you better be a friend. Right. And a friend is going to understand that coming in and saying, You know, Abby, if you'd replaced the leak alarm (laughs) earlier, it might have worked. And then you would have woken up in the middle of the night. Did you get any comments to that end? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Um, You you know, like, like if you, if you, next time, make sure you do this. How helpful is that when there's flooding and you're downstairs? You know, how dare Job's quote unquote friends have come in and said, you know, if you were a little more righteous... This wouldn't you wouldn't have you. gotten picked on like this. When in fact, it was his because very righteousness was, yeah. that caused God to allow him to go through something so that he could truly say, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right that it's easy to gloss over. And I 100% have, a, I have parents who probably err on the side, again, that pendulum swing, of saying, dig deep, you're going to be okay, Jesus is enough. And I do believe all of those things are true. Yeah. I actually do. That God's word is sufficient. And we talked about this a little bit before it started, before this episode started, we started talking officially. But this idea that there are going to be people in the world that do not have access to therapy. Sure. I mean, there are going to be people in the Western world who do not have the budget for therapy. Period. Oh, yeah. Not even like they can shift some things around. Right. They do not have it. And so I want to talk to you about that in just a second, but I'm going to finish this thought that I think I was raised in a home that emphasized the logic and the scripture because my parents' parents were so chaotic and so whimsical and so responsive to their own desires and emotions and sin natures Mm -hmm. that my parents grew up in chaos and were trying to create logic for us. Sure. And they did a great job of that in, in many cases. But I've had to, to kind of come to the realization through hard things, through postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. through things that I wanted to say, mentally I'm fine. My body's not safe. It's not doing okay. Yeah. And, and and I wish I could control that. I wish I could logic that out. And it's just not working in this moment. And say, 
you know, I need sympathy and empathy. I need help, you know. Um, and I will say that without any disdain for good biblical counseling, I have never officially walked into a therapist's office and paid money. But I have had good counsel. counsel. Sure. And I have had people that have sat with me in my sorrow. And I've had people that have come alongside me and prayed for me in physical distress that was caused by mental stress. Yeah. That that there has been that help there that I'm so grateful for and that I can recognize as very valuable. In other words, I didn't just bootstrap my way through suffering. Right, right. Which I wouldn't recommend that anybody no. do, regardless of what your resources are. And I think you bring up a good point, that there are going to be people who don't have access. Um, we talk about this all the time because my, my place is kind of bougie. And, yeah, and you, you, you've got... Stretching and massage and, and yeah, float this, tanks yes, and all, all the, the things. things. <laughs> um, and so even talking about access points for people. And one of the first things I want to know when I'm meeting with someone is I want to know what their resources are. I want to know if they're connected in their family. I want to know if they're connected in community. Are they a part of a church? Are they praying? Are they reading God's word? Are they um, are they exercising? Are they eating right? Are they mm-hmm. right helping helping kind of get a good picture of what people's resources are can help you know kind of where to walk with them. Because we can't compartmentalize. We cannot say, oh, my brain is not okay. And that has nothing to do with the fact that I've eaten, you know, that I'm surviving on caffeine. No. And in fact, it, it because it's so connected, it actually can be hard to parse out. We're, mm. we're doing integrated care and we have people who are in their lanes we've got a girl doing nutrition we've got you know yoga therapists we've got a massage therapist we've got soul care we've got now i'm gonna have to tell you amy that there are some people that heard you say yoga and their brains shut off and they're not gonna listen to anything else you said can you describe to me um because because i have some hang-ups too we've talked this through can you describe to me how this differs from Eastern sure. medicine and spiritualism? Yeah, we'll take a good little detour on that. <laughs> um, not too long. I know we want to stay on topic. You're but, good. Um, how we do that at, at Living Well is uh, from a Christian perspective. When we say yoga, it just means you're uniting body and breath. Um, and, and it is actually a very mindful practice. This is not where we empty our brains and disconnect from truth. It's not uncommon to hear someone reading scripture in a yoga class at Living Well, to hear someone, um, uh, you know, playing worship music or those kinds of things. Our hope is, is that people are fully present in their bodies while they think about those things and not disconnected from them. Uh, part of where we said, okay, why are we still going to call it this and not just call it, you know, movement, Christian movement. Christian or, stretching or Christian something. Christian stretching. Right. Right. You know, is because we are living in that lane where we are professionals. We have professional counselors. We have professional therapy. You know, we have a functional medicine practitioner. We have people who are in in the world of the profession. Because while we are Christian based in practice, we don't just take care of believers. So, would you say that in choosing to use that word, although the focus is not the same as in secular yoga, you're trying to be all things to all people in some ways? Yes. And I just wanted to clear that up because I know that it's a huge sticking it point is. and I understand. And it was for me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even as we were starting this, that's an area we wanted to be so careful with. Um, one, because it it, it, uh, it can go out there real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get out there in uh, woo-woo, what I like to call woo-woo land, um, really fast. And it can invite practices, uh, depending on who's leading it, um, uh, it can invite practices that I think are dangerous to the soul. Yeah. Um, and so we've been very careful with who we invite to practice that and how we do it. 
But I do understand that the, the uh, you know, the practice itself, because it is in some places associated with different kinds of worship. Although I would say, you know, Buddhists pray and they meditate. They don't pray in a Christian way. They don't meditate in a Christian way, right? And so th there's, there's a sense where we have decided we want to do that in a distinctively Christian biblical way. Um, but I get that it's a hang up for people. And I, I also totally respect when someone says, I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. So you're offering other aspects as well. Sure. That the goal would be to connect your body to what's going on in your brain that often originates, maybe always originates in your soul, mm -hmm. your heart, you know, yeah. the, the origin of emotion. And, you know, I don't think, I want to go way back because we were talking about, um, we were talking about people that don't have access and I want to get back and finish yeah. that thought. But I want, I want you to, to answer, cause you talk about the pendulum swing and sitting with those and, and being empathetic. But could you tell me yes or no, whether you agree with the phrase, all emotions are valid? Oh man. I know. I'm That's sorry. A... I like put you in a box I... and, and explain why. Oh, I would say, well, I, here, here's where I, depends on what you mean by valid. Right. Okay. Right. Thank you. I do think Words matter. that when someone says I felt any number of things that we can often feel very unreasonable things for perfectly good reasons. And so when someone's emotional response doesn't line up with what's happening, right? And so in the sense where we might say that's not valid, you okay. go, it doesn't make sense that you're mm -hmm. freaking out here because someone mm -hmm. missed up. Uh, I'll borrow your phrase because I messed up your coffee order. Right. Um, Part of what I want to know and I want to be curious about is why is that happening? Sure. Um, because it's it's valid in the sense that they felt that way and there probably is a reason that they felt that way. It just may not be connected at all to the coffee order. Do you think that there are any instances where that reason is because we are sinful human beings Absolutely. and we're selfish and we had like unreasonable <laughs> expectations of people and we're uh, kind of being self-focused? All the time. Okay. All the time. Okay. So I think that to me is a little bit of a no. Yeah. Because what you're saying is the Bible says, I'm going to botch this first because my brain is feeling soupy from all this house construction and everything that's going on. But it's basically where jealousy and envy is. There's like chaos and, yeah. and every evil thing. Sure. So when we say all emotions are valid, the Bible says, uh, no, that creates chaos and every evil thing like jealousy. You may, you may have all kinds of really good reasons why you have it, but you still don't want to validate it and right. say, of course you feel jealous. It's okay. Yeah. You know, so can you, and I, I think my approach would be different there. I think I would say, of course you felt that way. But let's uh, let's understand what that might be rooted in. Okay, right? Yeah, like that we may want to explore, and that we, as we do that, we may come to the conclusion that I had a selfish desire. Okay, or I had a I literally was sitting with someone yesterday who um, just expectations of a person in that particular moment. What they realize is that they're trying to replace something that they were missing, mm. and they've created these expectations of their spouse that are so painfully idolatrous. Mm. Um, but we couldn't get to that doorway if I looked at her and said, that's idolatry. Yeah, of course. Right. Not. Right. So 
part of where I, I, and maybe that's why I hesitate to say, no, they're not valid. I think they're valid in the sense that they exist. I think emotions are morally neutral. And so when I feel something, it's what's undergirding that emotion that's not morally neutral. Okay. So the, the emotion itself is more just the expression of what's happening. It's it's what kind of right out of the overflow of the heart the, the mouth, mouth speaks. speaks. Yep. It's it's what comes out when when I'm provoked in some way. Or and I'm... Jesus wasn't being nice when he said that. He didn't mean no. like out of the overflow of your super pure heart you say kind things. He was talking about that it's deceitful there's, above there's, all yeah, things and it's and, evil and it's yeah. wicked and and people don't. Because I think those are very morally, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to say? I was going to say, what's the opposite of neutral? Those are very morally volatile words. Absolutely. And they get people's backs up because we live in a society that wants to separate exactly what you're talking about. What is the undergirding of what caused this emotion? It could be trauma, and I want to talk about Mm -hmm. trauma in a minute. Yeah. It could be selfishness. Oh, and more times than not, I'll, I'll tell you my own heart because I'm a pretty emotionally expressive human being. Um, and I think it's part of why I'm good at what I do is that I'm very connected to how I feel and how other people feel. Um, but I will tell you, there's a lot of times that when I start examining it, I'll get to this place and go, Lord, that was just selfishness on my part, or that mm. was fear, or that was, mm-hmm. um, or that was just me not trusting you with the outcome. And I'm trying to play God and make something happen. Right. Um, but I do think people have to feel safe to be able to get to that place. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a, a scent, and again, that's more the method than it is anything else. And, and so I think it's interesting too, because what you and I do are so very different, mm-hmm. both, I think used by God, both, you know, and so I go, yeah, I don't know that the way I would speak in a counseling session to help guide someone to that place would be near as direct, but I don't, I don't have a huge social media platform either where I'm calling people to truth. And yeah. so you go, it's a different, it's a different ministry. I'm calling the people tr- to truth for sure. Um, but I'm also stepping around a lot of times, a whole mess of emotional, relational, and sometimes spiritual trauma. So I think one thing I would say to that, as far as the differentiation between what we're called to do, because obviously our goals are the same, same. of course, is that you literally get to sit with people mm-hmm. knee to knee in a room, yeah. eye to eye and get down to the root of it. Right. Whereas some people, if they never have that opportunity, sometimes need to hear a counterpart yeah. that's spoken. Um, and I don't think it has to be spoken by me. I just think that there has to be a voice that says biblical truth is biblical truth, whether we like it or, or not. not. Yeah. And where we go with so that, <laughs> where we go with that can look very empathetic. Yeah. And it can look very, um, very welcoming. And I, and I am a huge proponent for that. In the same way that you're talking about, I may say from a platform, biblical truth is biblical truth, whether our emotions like it or not. And I think that needs to be heard by some people who are being told, not only just that every emotion is valid, and I do agree with you in your definition of valid, in that you actually are feeling it. Yes. It exists. Yes. Of course, it is an actual thing. But the undergirding, people are saying, every emotion is valid. It's only what I do with it. But you're actually peeling a layer away mm-hmm. and saying, it's not actually just what you do with it. It's what Where it caused came from. it. What, the root? what is the root of that? And yeah. is it sinful? Is it hormonal? Is it 
um, trauma? Is it bad patterns that we've developed? Yeah. Which could also be the result of our sin. All of those things. So when I get a chance to then break it down with a person on person situation, I'm also not sitting there and saying, no, I totally agree. You know, you you just messed up. So too bad. It's saying, man, I have been there. Yeah. I know what you're struggling with. I will pray for you. I will watch your kids. We can go on a walk and talk about this, but I won't back down from. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the things that's hard and I'll I'll say this about you, Abby, because you're not going to say this about yourself. And I don't even know that you see this yourself this way. When you have a platform like you do, I think a lot of women imagine themselves sitting in the living room with you as they're... I do. I do hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. As they're, you know, reading through or hearing a podcast or a, a sense of... There's a sense of relationship. And so I think that's where you do hear some emotional response because they're receiving it according to their personal situation, yeah. even though it's being spoken as a overarching truth you and I'm sure you know that this is true as well and something you don't have to be a therapist to discover this you just have to be on social media and I've talked about this before in an episode on comparison and that is that I can speak to generalities and I can be in line with scripture mm-hmm. and people will still take them personally even if they don't apply to them yeah. but I'm not doing that exactly you're not doing that so I wasn't speaking to you yeah. I was speaking to the yeah. people that needed to hear it and yet we take it personally and then on the flip side we and I am saying we because I do this too take our own lived experience mm-hmm. and it's like when you put a um, a clear overlay that has a pattern on it and we try and like slide it, it around yeah. to line it up and if it doesn't line up it sometimes if we're not aware that we're doing this thing we get really frustrated because you're like yeah but you don't have a special needs child and your husband yeah. is kind to you and it's so nice that you are able to have your mom come help and like this litany of things that they don't see in their own life yeah. and I might be able to turn around and say yeah but you have this thing that I don't do well or this this resource that I don't have like we could tit for tat all day long right which is highly unproductive it's highly unproductive <laughs> so which is why and I talk about this all the time my goal is always to come back to the principle yeah I can't speak to 200,000 people's particulars no but I can speak to the principle yeah and I can say and I can bring people like you alongside who are able to speak to the particulars but you still believe in the principles absolutely and and I I think um I mean, there's a plumb line there that you're pulling people to, like that you're going, there's a truth that is true no matter what your circumstance is. I think, again, what we were uh, talking about before, that you go, it, you know, this has to function for the person who lives in an indigenous tribe. Right, and we didn't, to, we didn't finish that, that yeah, conversation. Yeah, that we have to, you know, there's a, there's a truth that um, uh, we all are... I don't know what the, the right word is, is that, that we're under its authority that we are, mm. and we're being mm. protected and held by, mm. right? Like, it's not just about like, let me tell you what you should know. This is, it's good. Yes. I, and I, I embrace, I, the, again, why I practice the way I practice. I, I embrace Augustine's notion that all truth is God's truth, even mm-hmm. when godless men find it. Mm. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah 28, if you want to just read a weird passage that you're like, what does this mean? Um, it talks about farming practices, mm. right? It talks about that when you're, you know, bringing in dill, you don't roll the cart over it because you'd crush it. And mm-hmm. when you, and, and what he says is this too is from the Lord, mm. right? There's a sense that there is truth about farming practices that's not lined out in scripture, but it does belong to God. Yes. 
Yes, nothing is out of his realm of sovereignty. Realm or reach. And I do think some of the things that we're seeing in the counseling field now are revealing, some of it is revealing things that he's always said were true and that you're going, look how science just proved that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some things we're discovering that you're going, this is so helpful. Um, And this surely is from the Lord, Mm. right? Do you feel like there are any kind of scientific quote unquote discoveries out there that are maybe misinterpreting the way the brain works? (laughs) I I, I was a leading question. Sorry, if I were a lawyer, they would like do an objection leading the witness. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, like even in the history of psychology, when you, when you take a guy like Freud, who is bananas, right? Like you just study him, you're like, wow, he, he, he was crazy. Um, and he talks about things like id, and he talks about like mm-hmm. the impulses and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And one of the things that you see is you're like, this guy's picking up on the depravity of man, mm. right? But he, not calling it that. He's not calling it that. <laughs> but he, what he is observing in the world that is true is that we are depraved. Mm. We have impulses. Mm-hmm. What he completely misses and totally bypasses is that you're made in the image of God. Mm. And that we, because we are made in the image of God, even the unbelieving... We can create, we can love, we can... Now, without Jesus, it's a sad attempt at best. you got a guy who comes after him, like Jung, who has his own things, but there's this person-centered psychology, this like really picking up on the image of God, right, in people. That there's things that are lovely about humans because we bear his image back to him. Mm -hmm. And completely misses and bypasses that we're sinful. Yeah. And totally depraved and that left to our own devices, we will just eat each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and so Lord you Lord of the flies. <laughs> so when you're studying something like a, a, a secular I think a lot of times what they are is they're observing things about the world that are true, but because there's no way to temper it or there's no way to There's no revelation. It, yeah, there's no revelation that you go, I'm I'm left to just observe. And yet what I don't want to miss is that and here's what I don't want to do is to say, it's only this, and I can't embrace any of these things that are true that God has given us. Yeah. Or he tells us in Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to search it out. Mm. Which is why Christians ought to be the best scientists, and right. the best mathematicians, right. and the best, that because if it's true, it belongs to him. And so in, in my practice, part of why I decided to go ahead and go down the road, and I may not always be able to keep my professional license. Like they, there may be a time where culturally driven, we get to the place where we're like, no, nah, I got to let it go. Yeah. Um, which we see some of that in even some of the gender discussions happening mm-hmm. right now. There's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things that mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we may be making our own at some point, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but part of why I practice the way I do is because I, I think there are things that we've discovered that are really helpful for people and they're actually giving people a place where they can return to community, that they can be restored to relationship with God. Maybe there was some spiritual abuse and there was some disconnect and, and, and I do a fair, fair amount of work with that. And I got to tell you, it's hard to untangle. So we talked about the word trauma, the big T mm-hmm. and we could talk about another big T word like triggers. <laughs> they go together. Uh, and I have made the claim on social media that both of those are a bit overused these days. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I, I think people are trying to understand it. And, and so sometimes we can get really confused about what trauma really is or what a trigger really is. And we do this with language all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like the word awesome. It's constantly. Yeah, Your evolving. pizza is not awesome. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's lovely. Your house is beautiful. It's not awesome. Right. Right, yeah. like the, you go, go stand at the Grand Canyon and behold, mm-hmm. like God's majesty there, and you may getting close. Yeah, 
but to stand in front of God alone, right? He's yes. awesome. And yes. we do this with language. I think in the world of trauma, again, in that pendulum swing of seeking to try to understand trauma, that you now have this this massive overuse of the word. So what I'm hearing from commenters, from readers, is basically only you can define trauma. In other words, the person who has experienced this. So if I were to say getting the wrong coffee order is not trauma, they would say, well, you don't know that way back when her dad always made her coffee wrong on purpose to get in her head. Therefore, this is a trigger and it could be trauma to her. Since you don't know that, you cannot say that absolutely, which I just came up with that example off the top of my sure. head and it wasn't too bad. Talk to that. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think that we're interchanging the word trauma and trigger. Um, I do think that sometimes minor things can trigger great trauma. Okay. Um, in cases of great abuse or neglect or mm-hmm. um, where I've been, I have a client that grew up with dirt floors and parents gone all day, mm-hmm. left to fend for himself, mm-hmm. finding food. Like it was a gross neglect kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and so for him, the very act of having to ask someone for something is actually very, very painful for yeah. him. Um, and so can, can I be triggered by coffee? Maybe. Um, I do think um, that in an attempt to be known, people are kind of <laughs> um, calling this really bad thing trauma. Trauma is a life-disrupting event. Right, right. And, and while we cannot define what is a life-disrupting event for any particular person, right. it is true that they would, they would only be... And yet, so much of the time, we don't even recognize when something has truly disrupted her. I'm, I'm the worst. Like five years later, I'm like, oh, that was oh, that a was really disruptive. Big deal. Yes, I just, I just kept plowing through that, and and probably should have dealt with that yeah, a little bit which better. Which is the coping skill. Yes, yes. Well, it's and I'm grateful for it. Quite honestly, yeah. I'm really grateful for it. Um, but I think what I would say, and I would love to hear your response to it, is that. As Christians, as a secular person mm-hmm. who is kind of just feeling their way through all of this and seeing this explosion of interest in therapy, trauma, and triggers, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the T's, all the T's, it makes sense that you would be like, oh man, this is where it's at. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm going to find my hope. This is where I'm going to find my healing. Yeah. But I would hope from a Christian perspective because I'm talking about the pushback that I get, but I'm getting a lot of people that are like, oh my goodness, thank you for saying this. Yeah. Like, this is really sure. going off the rails. You know, like, we, we need to have truth spoken here. That's the biggest T of them all. I think that from a Christian perspective, would you agree that hopefully before we're declaring my trauma is this and it informs everything, that we're going to God and saying, mm-hmm. like... Where, where does this, where does this fall? Like what, what are you doing Yeah, in my life through this? Where's, where's this go? You know, there, here, here's what's really interesting about trauma. One of the things, and trauma and PTSD are two totally different things, mm. right? You can experience a trauma and not have symptoms of PTSD. Okay. And you can experience a, what we call a little T trauma and big T, little T doesn't have to do with how big it is. It has to do with, it wasn't an event or did it happen over time? Okay. Um, a little T trauma might be a relational trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Like my, my client that experienced neglect that didn't happen in one neglect. It was a thousand neglects, mm-hmm. right? It's death by a thousand stings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we have, uh, you know, things like that, one of the differentiators in, um, someone who's experienced a trauma and, 
having symptoms of PTSD really does boil down to their attachments, their connection. Was I alone in it? And do I have what I need to overcome it? And mm. you go, you can see where so very obviously that, that you go, God has provided for that in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is always with us. Right. And that, that we're never really alone. Yeah, he never it. leaves us or forsakes us. Um, and, and that we have all that we need. Right, that that his sufficiency speaks to that you have what you need to overcome whatever it is that you walk through, and so you know my hope as a Christian therapist is that when we've walked through some of those traumas, that we are going to come to places where we're going to be able to forgive, mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to um, move forward with hope because we have a hope in Jesus that right. anchors our souls. Right. Um, and and so I think what's really interesting about um, trauma and whether or not we can move forward from it, um, largely what we're learning is is that we, we have to restore some healthy attachments and we have to know that we have resources. What is a healthy attachment? Can you define that for yeah. us or break it down well, for you us? Should, you should be a pro in attachment. <laughs> we build our attachments in the families we grow up in. Mm. That, that's how God designed uh, for us. All I mean by that is connection. How mm. do I connect to other people? Okay. What we want is secure attachments the sense of when I reach out for someone that they're reaching back for me. Sure. Right. So mamas, you got to hear this. Going to get all weepy. Every time you answer your baby's cry, mm. you're, you're creating attachment. Yeah. Every time you respond to the hunger need or you respond to the boo-boo or you respond to, um, what they're, what they're learning is that they can reliably reach out for someone and that they're being reached back to, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That's and so good. God designed that to happen in the home, particularly through mamas. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes attachments get disrupted. Yeah. Right. And so we, because we're not in an ideal world, we're in a fallen world and we're, we're sinful and messy. Um, but part of how we heal is also in attachment. Which is why it's never a good idea to go it alone, right? Right. Like, so whether you are seeking counsel from your friendships or your family or your church community, um, or you maybe go, I I do think I need some professional help. I do think it's wise to sit with a believing counselor because we are dabbling in things that touch the soul. Your soul is not disconnected from the way you think, and it's not disconnected from the way you experience things in your body. They're all playing together. Absolutely. So they're all connected. Um, They're all connected. And I I do, like, just to come back to the original question, I do. I see people overusing the word trauma or misunderstanding the word trauma. Um, But I also think back to a time not so long ago where nobody was talking about trauma. Yeah. Um, it's that pendulum swing that you're talking about. We're so all or nothing. I call it switch dial thinking. Like, we don't like um, to find that place of uh, paradigm or, right, when we... Someone on your um, comment section talked about her therapist saying the phrase, behold the paradox. And I Mm. thought that was so beautiful Um, because there is sometimes a paradox between what I feel and what's actually true. Yeah. Oh Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And so we, we kind of have to do that, but we don't like that. We want yes or no, in or out, black or white. Well, and I can just speak to it so much from a hormonal perspective because I've been postpartum so many times. I mean, how many times have my hormones told me? My children are out to get me. Yes, because they left this toy on the ground. 
But yeah. my logic is telling me the truth, which is child. four-year-olds don't pick up after themselves consistently because yeah. you haven't trained them to do so, and you, you're just going to have to dig in and, and stay with the consistency, and we'll get there eventually, and it's not personal, yeah. and all those things. But, but your emotions and your hormones and the chemicals running through your body that are not regulating correctly because you were feeding a baby and up at all hours, and you know, all the things, like you say, the integrative things that have a domino effect. Yeah. So... So then you have to say, which, which, which path will I go down? Because I think that I am always going to advocate for the fact that we have a choice. Sure. Oh. Now, I know yeah. that there are extreme cases where it absolutely does not feel like you have a choice. And, and I'll give you an example at a time where it, it took me a minute to realize I had a choice in that moment. Really, really, really hurtful relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Fissure, breakup. And my husband came home one night and I'm cooking dinner and there's just the usual chaos. I have a baby on my hip, another one pulling on my legs, but this is, this is normal. I don't feel particularly dysregulated or, or overstimulated. It's fine. I'm cooking. And he comes home and he talks about having had lunch with a person that was part of this, um, this relationship breakup. And we haven't had regular contact in years. And it's just interesting because all of a sudden, you know, like hairs on the back sure. of my neck are prickling and my body is freaking out. And so I keep cooking and I'm listening, but I'm feeling more on edge by the moment, even though nothing has changed except the knowledge that my husband has had contact with this person mm -hmm. that we have a painful history with. And, um, and, and we, there, there's never been resolution, although we have sought it. So, yeah. so that, that closure is not there yeah. and, and the hurt is still there, although it heals. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm just constantly walking around with open wounds. The Lord is faithful to, to heal things often. And so, or I think he's always faithful to heal things, but there's, there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of processes involved. And so he asked me at the height of my feeling, like I had bees in my brain and I was just not processing anything well anymore, a very innocuous question. And my response was not kind yeah. and it had nothing to do with the question. And in that moment, I didn't make a good choice. I, I do still think I was present enough that I could have said, hey, babe, I'm struggling with this and, and I'm, I'm going to have to finish cooking and can you take the baby? Instead of being like, hey, why did you even ask me that? Or whatever kind of rude thing I said to yeah. him. But that's also not an extreme case. No. Well, and I, I would go so as far to say that even if you weren't in control, right? Like, let, let's just imagine in that moment, your body just took over and they're, they're, you are out of control to the degree that your choices are kind of limited in front of you, I still think you're responsible. Yes, yes. So when someone, for, and we see this when we, especially when we have mental illness, you know, I'm convinced whoever wrote the character, the Hulk, studied um, blackout <laughs> anger to some degree. Um, because there is a type of blackout anger where people are not cognizant mm. of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you see that character wrestle with is he comes back and there's this sobering moment where all the damage is in front yeah, of him the, and he realizes, chaos, yeah. look what I've done. Yes. And so he has to come to terms with, I've done this and I need to figure out how to not do it again. How to not do it again. I think that is the key. Um, I know people personally who have, who have great effects on my life. Yeah who have things that are actual triggers for them. Yeah. Like, like the, the, if there is a clinical definition, I don't even know if there is anymore, but, but if there is a clinical definition, <laughs> yeah. they have things they know are triggers and 
when they are in their right mind, so to speak, when they if they choose those triggers because they are alluring to them, the aftermath will be devastating. Yeah. And so when they make that choice for that trigger, when they are still in control, and then the control leaves because the stimulant is in their bodies or whatever, yeah. then the chaos and the damage happens, and you're right. The responsibility is still, still there, there, even though it is so complicated. And the reality is, is that when someone is abusing, they are responding a lot of times to their own trauma. But I would never say that that person is somehow abdicated of their responsibility mm. there. So when, even to come back to the illustration of hormones, right? Hormones are a hot mess. And most of us, uh, when we've experienced postpartum, will have some adjusting, but sometimes it is. Extreme. Extreme. Yeah. And we're so used to just responding so quickly to our emotions that we never stop to think, why is this happening? Right? right? What is happening that this is present? Mm -hmm. And so when I'm like resenting my two-year-old for doing things that two-year-olds do, it's a fair question to then to come back, why am I feeling this way? Yes. yes. Right? And to go, it, it, it's a canary in a sense, right? Emotions sometimes will squawk and they'll, they'll let us know something's awry, something's wrong. And something, sometimes what's awry is that there's sin in my heart. Yes. Sometimes what's awry is that I have hormones raging in my body and I need to get some help. Yes. Sometimes what's arise, there's a disrupted relationship that I need to seek to make repair if that's possible, or I need to seek to let go if it's not. Absolutely. So one of the things that I really did want to address, and we are currently addressing, is this idea of the Christian being responsible because we've been given everything yeah. we need for life and godliness. Yeah. If that's what scripture says, and we truly believe that the word of God means what it says, then we have to take the steps and whether that is meeting with a biblical counselor mm -hmm. and being receptive to the ways in which they kind of poke at the, the sin or the disruptive relationship or the bad habits or the hormones and say, you know, cause I, I do, I do feel like a whole lot of us would rather, and I, because I, I feel this personally sometimes, would rather wallow. And there is somebody that just got mad at that word. And I understand why, because that is a very, that's a very strong word. But I know myself to have wallowed mm -hmm. instead of looking for a solution. Sure. And there's not always an easy solution. I've never done that, Abby. Never. Well, <laughs> then you should be the therapist, not me. Uh, um, that was sarcasm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so when we say there is no fix. There is no hope. Um, there's a quote that I put from Sarah McKenzie, who is the read aloud revival, um, author and, and podcaster and all the things. Um, and she was basically talking about young adult fiction and how the focus is so much on angst, depression, mm -hmm. hopelessness. And she said, I really struggle with the idea of presenting literature to young people that says that there is no hope. Mm -hmm. because literature should be truthful yes. and it is not truthful to say that there is no hope. Yeah. And I personally know and have been participating in situations sometimes where from the outside looking in, it was hopeless. Mm -hmm. And at the time there weren't hardly any avenues for the people that were being the most affected by it that I loved and wished I could save from it. Yeah. And yet they persevered. And there's a scripture that says, you know, the man who perseveres to the end will be saved mm -hmm. is kind of the idea. I think, I don't know that I said that quite right, but it's mm -hmm. this idea. And Romans talks about how tribulation produces tribulation. character and, and character, character produces, hope. produces hope and hope does not disappoint. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but there was a reader that read that verse at just in her own Bible study, and then she was reading Hard is Not the Same Thing as Bad, mm-hmm. which is coming out next week. And she'd gotten an advanced copy, and she was like, I was reading this, and I was reading the same verse that you were talking about. And then I was reading a Matthew Henry commentary, and he said, actually, tribulation doesn't produce much perseverance, and it's by itself. It is the working of God's Spirit with tribulation. Tribulation by itself produces impatience. Mm -hmm. We're like, get this out of my life. Mm -hmm. I do not want this. I don't have time for this. I don't appreciate it, Lord. Mm -hmm. Just take it back to easy street, please. But tribulation with the working of the Holy Spirit produces perseverance. Then that perseverance leads to more patience, more fruit of the Spirit, which produces hope, and the hope does not disappoint because the hope is Christ. Um, So bringing it back around, this is not a therapy bashing podcast, obviously. Because... Right, right. And I think that... I just want to kind of have the conversation about where is our hope? Yeah. Is our hope in wisdom of man, oh. which the Bible tells us is foolishness, foolishness. to God? Yeah. Um, and, and are we able to differentiate between good counsel and bad counsel? Yeah. Because would you agree, oh. again, a leading question, that not all therapists' opinions are valid and good? No. I, we want to be discerning. I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say is that there's there's a call to the believer to be one discerning about when is counseling needed and when is uh community needed or mm. when is time alone with God needed mm. or when is like, to be able to discern what's appropriate for what's happening here. Because the knee jerk reaction right now in our culture is go straight to therapy. Go straight to therapy. And you're saying there might be times or there definitely are times when you say, I went straight to therapy and I didn't acknowledge, because you told me before we started that sometimes your question to your client is, so how in your time in God's up? word and how have you been praying? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm not actually doing either one of yeah. those things. I'm just here for you to fix me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Woo, that's a lot of pressure. It's too much pressure yeah. is pressure I don't want. And, you know, there is this um, sense of I want um, to be rescued. Now, I will say... Um, like I know we we kind of had a little conversation before that even led to this podcast. I think one of the things that I get really concerned about is I feel like there's probably more danger um, in the person who uh, needs therapy and avoids it than mm. there is in the person who seeks therapy with a wise counselor who will go, you don't need therapy, you need friends. With a wise counselor. Right. I think that's so key. So a yeah. lot of the DMs that I got that were hesitant about therapy or at least circumspect encouraging discernment. Yeah. Like big time. Yes. We're saying I've watched so many friends choose unwisely who they took their life advice from yeah. and they became their life coaches and their life gurus. Yeah. Someone said something really wise or just kind of like, whoa, they said, I have seen friends who are so codependent upon their therapist <laughs> when the therapist so is telling them the, and the therapist, in a in a moment of lack of professional integrity, is encouraging codependency yeah. for a paycheck. You can cause harm. And they they are saying, I have seen situations oh, yeah. where they chose unwisely whom whom they were getting professional advice from, and their marriages ended as a result because they were told, you know what, everything you feel 
is what should inform all of your decisions and you don't feel love towards your spouse anymore so that you shouldn't stay there, you know, and that's not biblical. We, we don't, yeah, you put yourself in a part of why we're so careful in the world of counseling is we understand that there's a power differential. Mm. Um, and one of the really, I don't, I don't know that counselors should be giving much advice, right? If they're counseling again, this is more methodology than it is anything else. The counselors are not there to give advice. Mm. They're, help, they're there to help you uncover. And so when you walk in, even um, good practice says, I'm going to meet with you um, and it, where you are. Um, and, and there is a sense that your faith ought to enter the room, but it ought not to be my faith that you're walking out with. No, no, you have to have your own. Um, and and I, I do think it is such a fragile position, right? We talk about how we impact the client, how the client impacts us. Um, which is why there's so many rules, right? They're like, it's why we don't hang out. I have lots of clients I would love to be friends with, but it's part of why we don't hang out with them outside. It's not, it's not because we don't value them or we wouldn't want to be friends, but we understand the power differential. And that can be really confusing for people because we're going 10 miles deep. Yeah. Um, and so we need boundaries around it. We need healthy spaces around it, but it is such a fragile position um, when, when so, especially when someone's really hurting and they come sit in my office, I have influence mm, and I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. That's a privilege for people to do, but I also understand there's, there's a place of power there. And so when I'm talking about where my kids are going to go, if they need therapy or where I'm going to go or where my marriage is going to go, I want to be discerning about who I do that with. Right. And, yeah. And we want to talk about also, I want to talk about also the fact that a therapist is a human being. <laughs> yes, very much so. And I got to tell you, Abby, I, I get nervous about therapists who don't do their own work, right? Or aren't connected in community in some way or aren't participating in spiritual disciplines because you can only take someone as far as you've gone. Um, and so I, I think it is a very... Um, scary notion to put therapists in some kind of um, even expert seat of like, you know, more than other people mm -hmm. that I somehow have some, I'm not magic. I don't have some kind of like knowledge that other people don't have access to. You can read God's word just as easily as mm -hmm. I can. And now in the internet age, you can also look up all kinds of therapy things. <laughs> I do have training that helps me stay, stay safe in that, that I'm not crossing boundaries and I'm not, that I, I know a lot of people that don't, I don't personally know a lot of people, but I've heard a lot of stories about that not being practiced well. Yeah. And I don't, I don't ever want to be put in, in this place of an idol where someone's asking me before they've asked Jesus. Absolutely. Or they've gone to God's word or they've sought, that makes me really nervous. As it should. Because I, I'm going to fail. And I have. Now, I think what's, really lovely in the world of counseling is when I fail, I can come back and make repair. And that's actually very helpful. And it's, it's demonstrating just like we do for our, our children kids, yeah. and our spouses that we actually do believe the gospel mm -hmm. that while we are doomed to sin yeah. and death by our own transgressions, yeah. we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and we have been given grace yes. and we can then ask for that and offer it freely yes. to others. And it is so good that none of us are perfect since Jesus has saved us. It is, it is a very bad thing if we have to save ourselves that none of us are perfect. <laughs> but since we have a savior and such a savior, yeah. 
it is a very good thing that we are able to say, you know, uh, I'm an author, but, but don't listen to what I say. Listen to what scripture, scripture says. says. I'm a therapist, but don't listen to what I say. Listen to what scripture says. If I am speaking anything that is not yeah. truth, like compare it every single time yeah. to the truth with a capital T. Yeah. I, I, I do not ever want people to, um, be using me as the filter that, that, uh, scripture should be. And, and, um, and I'm hopeful that in my practice that, that I've been able to point people back to um, the thing that's eternal. My relationship most of the time with people I'm counseling is pretty temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can be very helpful. I, and I do, I, I think, um, you know, you see a lot of people respond to because maybe therapy has been really helpful for them. I, I think a lot of what I do is spiritual parenting. Um, in the counseling room. I think there's, you know, I have my, my own two little pumpkins at home. Um, not so little anymore, but, um, but I also think there's a sense of mothering that happens in the counseling room. There's modeling, there's, uh, entering into and connecting with giving empathy. There's training. There's, so I'm basically a therapist. Basically. <laughs> um, there's an element of coming alongside of someone that does sometimes fill a mothering role, um, and I, I have found that I've several, several clients who have, have come, have kind of gone, man, I, I, I needed that. Um, maybe there was something lacking in their relationship with their own mama, or, um, maybe mama wasn't a believer. Maybe there, there's been a number of times that, that I've gotten to step alongside and yet it has limitations, right? Yeah. I'm because I'm, I'm not inviting them to Christmas. Right. Yeah. You, you only have so much time and there is so much power in that drip, drip, drip of influence that we have when we spend our time doing actual life with people. And we do see examples of spiritual fatherhood, like Paul with Timothy. Mm -hmm. And we know that Titus two women are to come alongside and they may not be living, you know, in an intergenerational household. It may not be an everyday thing. So we know that we were able to have that influence without having to actually live with people. But we're going back to that statement that you made that ideally we would be getting the most influence from the people that we are the most attached to. And it's when those attachments are broken that we have to return to the truth of scripture that God is our father and that he doesn't leave us and that he isn't going to forsake us and neglect us and intentionally manipulate us. And, um, and I do think that if we don't have the kinds of people in our lives that can speak that truth to us and demonstrate that truth to us by being Christ church, by being um, surrogate mothers, that it is a wonderful opportunity if you have the means, if you have the ability, ability to, so. to get that from a biblical counselor. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the, the thing that I'm going to stick with is that, as you say, all truth is God's truth, but it can be so misapplied when it's coming from, from a human being, from yeah. A, a, yeah. Yeah, a human-centric perspective. Um, Amy, thank you so much. This has been such thank a good you, conversation. Abby. And I knew it would be because Amy and I always have really good conversations. conversations. We don't really talk about fluffy stuff. (laughs) Like if we stop in the hallway at church, we usually end up having something that sounds a little bit like this. And I knew that I wanted to have you on, um, because of the deep conversations that we've had where you have not insisted that your practice or your field has special knowledge. Um, and, and I appreciate that humility and I appreciate 
and okay, let me back up a little bit because someone just said, wait, 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 isn't that what they do have? Isn't like, don't they just have special? And I'm like, yes, training, mm -hmm. but not revelation beyond what God is able to give yeah. others. You have a way of learning it and a way of applying it that can be really helpful when undergirded by scripture. Um, and I think that that is very valuable. And that's why I have you here to speak to that because people are more willing to listen to someone that's, it's their profession. It's what they're doing. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. But sometimes having a few letters behind your name gives you a platform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I appreciate that what you're saying is weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, meet people where they are, don't dismiss, don't act as if we aren't fully integrated human beings yeah. where there are very valid reasons for even some of the silly things like my snapping at my husband. Yeah. And, and just becoming completely emotionally dysregulated in about five minutes when I was fine before, but that we still have a responsibility to circle back and say, I was wrong in and that I'm moment sorry. and I'm sorry, please yeah. forgive me. Yeah. And I had to go to my son and say, I set a bad example for you. You were watching me and that was wrong what I did yeah. to your dad. And even say like, I, I got stressed out by something else, but that's not okay for me to then say, I'm off the hook. Yeah. You know, um, so I hope you will be encouraged by this conversation to lean into truth, to um, to not just take your two Bible verses a day with a tall glass of water and assume that you're good, but to dig into what scripture has to say about counsel, to dig into what scripture has to say about wisdom, to as you're hearing kind of all these pop culture psychology mm -hmm. armchair quote unquote experts on TikTok and, and Instagram. And I know, therapy. I know, I know. We could see, we could go on and maybe we'll have another whole episode about TikTok therapy. That that when you start to feel um, overwhelmed by the amount of information you have at your fingertips, that you can return to taste and see that the Lord, Lord is good. good. Mm -hmm. And that some of his goodness may, may appear in your life in the form of wise counsel that comes from a professional or, um, or your grandmother who, who, who might, y'all people get mad at me for saying this, but might be better than a professional counselor. Like that's. Amy just said, yeah, if you didn't, if you I, didn't hear that. Gosh, I, I know we're wrapping up the conversation, <laughs> but I had a client years ago when we were working through and there was some significant trauma. She had good reasons to be there. But at one point we recognized that all of her closest relationships were people she was paying. Mm. Right? There was a, a mm. tutor of a, 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 one of her kids. There was me, there was a, uh, like a personal trainer. And one of the things that that kind of uncovered is that there was a lot of fear in relationships where she wasn't, she didn't have something to give. Mm. Um, and I'm like, man, what she needed more than me in that moment was a genuine friend who was asking nothing of her. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing for you to have said that is, I'm talking about the pushback and that's why we're, but yeah. I'm telling you, I probably have gotten way more like, Oh, yeah. I'm so glad this is like coming up because yeah. the pressure to feel like I need to dig down and find a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we don't need to go trauma and hunting. Then, <laughs> like trouble hunting. And, and then go pay somebody to yeah. tell me why that happened and, and why. And I didn't even like know I had a problem until until somebody told me that I had a problem. That's that's a whole other that's a whole other ball of yarn. Um but but truth is always the goal. Mm -hmm. And um I think that like you pointed out, the Lord has asked different things of us. 
but our heart's desire is to honor Absolutely. him in everything that we say and do. And our, our knowledge um, is based in what his word says and how the Holy Spirit informs that because we are both redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful that we have that, um, that commonality Me and that too. ability to speak that same language, which is informed by God's word. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Oh yes, I'm so glad you got to come. All right guys, we will be back next week with a completely different topic. I don't even know what it is yet, but I will (laughs) let you know when we get there. Thanks for being here today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. If you enjoy the MS for Mama podcast, I would be so honored if you would subscribe and follow along, maybe share with friends or even leave a review. And if you want more content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues, be sure to follow along on Instagram at m.is.for.mama.